Welcome to Sound Advice. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, Matthew. Hi. Uh, yeah. So I've been thinking. I, th- I suppose we need to think of a new name for this because Sound Advice. We've actually got two podcasts called Sound Advice. One is obviously this one, which is our sort of you know dedicated healthcare podcast but also we've got another podcast which is general business which is sound advice i think that we probably need to get marketing team to think of something very clever we could be healthy advice healthy advice that's it yeah is healthy advice good or i'm not sure if that's quite good healthy is sort of just about okay is it well we've got we've got matthew um here as well he's he's twiddling knobs in in the background perhaps he can come up with some some bright ideas for that so um so okay so what are we here to talk about in the room, we've got Peter Herdemans, who, who is our tax director. Anyone who's listened to any of our previous podcasts might have heard, heard Peter talking about areas such as NHS pensions, in which he has some expert knowledge, and also our head of healthcare here at Ballard LLP, Matthew Watson, who's also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. So hopefully we can talk about some sensible stuff as well. But specifically today, Peter, you wanted to cover off something important as regards to the McLeod Remedy. Do you want to sort of just give it a bit of a summary, Peter? Yeah, thanks, Steve. The reason for today's podcast is just to cover off the changes in the McLeod Remedy or the next phase of the of the remedy following uh, uh, recent changes that have that have come to light. Just as a brief overview, those of you who don't know, and I'm, I'm imagine there won't be many nowadays, the McLeod Remedy centres around the 2015 pension scheme in the NHS. Uh, in particular, we're we're looking at when this pension was introduced. Members were transitioned across base of how close they were to normal retirement age. For example, if a if an individual was under ten years away from retirement, they did not move over to this new scheme and remained in their old schemes. And the NHS scheme is the nineteen ninety five or two thousand and eight sections of those schemes. The overall movement actually applied to anybody in public sector schemes, not just the NHS. McLeod was the individual who took the government to task over this to state that the ruling to move people over was unlawful discrimination. He won and therefore the remedy was formed. The first part of the remedy has already been implemented and that was effectively on the 1st of April 2022 where all members of all of their legacy schemes across the board were moved into the 2015 section. What has happened now is that the Department of Social Health and Social Care issued a response to the consultation in respect to the second part of the remedy earlier this month, and that's really what we need to cover today, just to make sure people are up to speed. Okay. Can we just check, Peter, when you say that the members of the legacy schemes are moved to the 2015 scheme, what does that actually mean? Historically, people joined, for argument's sake, depending on when they joined the NHS pension scheme, they were put into a section of the scheme. 1995, it was updated in 2008, although there were rules applicable in 1995 that means you didn't have to move into the 2008 section. Some people did, some people didn't. And then effectively, from 2015, and those people who who joined the NHS scheme around about 2012, were automatically going to be put into the 2015 section. From 1st of April 2022, regardless of where you were, when you were born, what age, when you were due to retire, Every member of the pension scheme is now only applicable in the 2015 section. 
This doesn't mean that there aren't implications to the legacy schemes because they are dealt with on a final salary basis. But the 2015 scheme is a career average revalued earnings scheme, so it's dealt with slightly differently. So your salary will still affect your legacy scheme. It is effectively deferred, but there will still be pension implications, whereas everything going forward from the 1st of April is only in that 2015 scheme, and therefore you're generating pension on that basis. So it's a fundamental change to the overall system, but what it has meant is that that seven-year period from the April 2015 up to March 2022, where this was this transition, no longer applies. Does that mean it's just plain sailing then going on from now on? It actually gets more and more complicated the more and more we look into it, to be honest. And I think the way that it's been dealt with has meant that there's been a lot of a lot of issues. I'm sure people are aware of them with regard to the pension growth, annual allowance, etc. But the unwinding of it is going to create its own issues, which I think we'll cover off here as we go through this now. Thank you, Peter. So what was the purpose of the consultation document? And um, what do you think we're going to see going forwards? The basis, the, the reason for the consultation document, it was to address the questions that have been raised by various respondents to it anyway. So that included all the professional bodies. We've got the BMA, the BDA, even NHS, BSA have been involved in, in that situation. Ultimately, it provides additional details and slightly more clarification on what the remedy is going to look like. It isn't a finished article because there are things still going on and still, still trying to work out. And I'm sure there'll be further questions asked as we go along. But the things that, that have included are the implementing of the rollback for members reverting to that legacy scheme. Uh, we'll cover that. Put in place provisions to, for deferred choice election on retirement. Introduce an immediate choice election for those members whose benefit entitlement has already arisen, i.e. those people who've retired um, or are very close to it. And managing the, the, the consequences of that rollback and potential compensation for any issues that have arisen. That's what the recent consultation was about, and that's what people are looking at doing. So far from straightforward then. There's a lot involved in the in the overall process. It's going to be a constant moving feast, because I don't think in the, in the process that's been put together, a lot of the questions that we feel need to be asked are going to be answered quickly. Okay. Can we just look at one of the points you mentioned there, which is the rollback from members reversing to their legacy scheme, and how is that going to affect their tax position? Right. So the rollback is that everybody who has moved over from the legacy scheme in 2015, whether that would be at the beginning of the period or any period during that time up to, to March 22, they will be rolled back into their legacy scheme from the 2015 section. That's happening now because we've passed the wonderful date of the 1st of October when this is, was supposed to be implemented. So by the 6th of October 2024, pension scheme need to move all members affected by McLeod back into their legacy scheme for that remedy period, that seven-year period. The legacy scheme is either the 95 or the 2008 scheme, and it covers that seven-year period from April through to March 22. They should supply, and we're hoping that they will, a remedial statement in this in this period up to 2024, which should show, I say should because it's, it's supposed to be will show, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, still not convinced. The previous pension input figures, i.e., where the previous calculations were cal were based upon, and how the how the annual allowance was calculated, and the new pension input based upon the individuals being reverted back into their legacy schemes. At that point, it'll be down to the member who receives that to recalculate their annual allowance their position for 2015-16 up to 2021-22 or 
I'm afraid to say we'll be having to do it for them. Due to the HMRC's statutory limitations, they have a four-year period in which they can go back and look at people's affairs, if, unless there's you know, fraud or any, any other uh, particularly damaging situation. Assuming that the statements are issued by October 2024, any shortfall based upon this reversion where a liability increases or arises from an annual allowance position, members would need to pay the tax underpaid for the 2020-21 and 2021-22 years because they'll be the in-date years that can be affected by McLeod up to 22. Any underpaid tax will need to be settled by 31st of January 2025 and that really doesn't give people much time to sort out their affairs and hopefully these statements that are issued will still give people sufficient time if there's a potential liability. Our calculations and the way we look at the position, there are certain circumstances where it won't apply, but in the majority of cases, we're finding that rather than increasing the liability, the reversion back into the uh, legacy schemes is likely to result in a reduction on the annual allowance charge rather than increase. It is, it is affected by pay increments, rises, whatever it happens to be, Awards could be affected, added years could affect it, but in general terms, people will invariably have a lower liability than they would have had under the 2015 section. Whereas HMRC can't go back more than four years, if it's found that the tax has been overpaid at any point during that remedy period, that seven-year period, this will be refunded through the compensation package. So it's a win-win. You can't go past what the revenue ordinarily go but you will be entitled to go back should you have an overpayment of tax in that remedy period. Can I just ask, that you were talking about October 24 as your first deadline and saying that if they're underpaid tax, that would need to be paid by 31st of January. Going on past performance, the stuff that you get through from the pensions agency will not be 100% accurate and you'll have queries, etc. So it's difficult to see how we're going to meet those, those deadlines, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to put an awful lot of pressure on us. I can't deny that. What we hope to get are the statements. Now, what we've done and what we will continue to do between now and January 25, sounds a long way away, but really it isn't, is prepare projections and calculations ourselves, if required, to check those numbers are going to be relatively accurate when they come through. We should be in a position to see relatively quickly if there's, a, again, a major problem, which is where we've been picking up from clients before. So, in theory... Because the calculations should be checked appropriately by the pension scheme, we shouldn't find too many issues. But in the period, if you're talking about any time between now and October 2024 where things are going to be issued, the likelihood is those people most affected are going to be getting them in October 24, which gives me and my lovely team about three months to sort it out. So you think that you should be in a position when, when you get the certificates, they should be agreeing back to the figures you've already calculated rather than having to agree the statements first? Yeah. 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 We, that, that's where we hope to be. It's a, it's a good job you know what you're talking about. Some people may beg to differ, but yeah, I think we've got it covered and we're comfortable with where it, where it needs to be. Excellent stuff. So, Peter, I know in the past we've spoken about members choosing to sort of opt out of the, the pension scheme to avoid annual allowance charges is this going to have any impact on on those people yeah when the remedy first came out there was an awful lot of talk about the opportunity or the option to go back into the scheme for this remedy period 
bearing in mind that people would have left it for to minimize liability more than anything else, and, and, and they were particularly unhappy with regard to the way the scheme was being operated and, and, and what the additional cost was. Under the new scheme, or under the sorry, under the remedy, members who've made the made the decision to opt out because of the introduction of the scheme now have the option to reinstate their membership during that remedy period. Now that sounds very straightforward. I just want to go back in. When the remedy was first being being discussed, it was stated that there had to be a reason under discrimination as to why you left the scheme, not financial, not the charges, etc., etc. What's come out of the consultation is applications will now be considered on a case-by-case basis. That said, the Department of Health have confirmed that the evidential threshold should be low, so not this distinct criteria for for a member to prove that they opted out due to age discrimination. They've actually confirmed that the timing of the opt-out will be sufficient evidence to demonstrate if it was prompted by discrimination. So they've relaxed their initial stance to give people more of an opportunity. They've also confirmed that members will have the option to reinstate only part of their opt-out service during that remedy period should they wish to do so. So it's not an all-or-nothing basis. That'll be interesting to see how that evolves because careful planning may see individuals opting back in the earlier parts of the remedy period without incurring any additional annual allowance charges, whereas maybe not opting into the scheme in the later period where they don't have to pay, where they would have to pay annual charges on that basis. So again, that's for those people who have opted out of the scheme. It's going to it's going to take some number crunching to make sure that they're in the best possible position. Will they be assessed for any additional charges for the fact that sort of they're making I don't know a 2017 contribution now in 2023-24? You no. Know, so would they be charged? I, I suppose you don't, probably don't know, but would they be charged interest or anything on that? Uh, no, it doesn't state anything in there, but I don't think they'll be charging interest, bearing in mind the remedy. They'll be given a deadline to make those make those additional payments, if you see what I mean. But I don't yeah. think it would be it would be major a major issue. I think that a lot of the remedy is, is worked towards ensuring that members aren't being penalised for something that they had no control. But you may then argue that the people that stayed in the scheme will be a bit upset that you know they've had five years without their money, whereas um, people that went out of the scheme would have had growth on their money and then would be able to invest now as well. I couldn't agree more. But are we now going to be in a position where those people who stayed in the scheme are going to be claiming compensation for the fact that they didn't have the money in their pockets or anything? But we'll come on to we'll come on to the, that process anyway a little bit, I think, because it's 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 not as straightforward as you can go back in the scheme because there are a few issues in relation in relation to that. As you say, it just gets more and more complicated the more you, you delve into it, doesn't it? Indeed. So, Peter, those members that haven't paid into the pension contributions, and therefore, if the service is reinstated, contributions will now become payable. How will that actually work, do you think? When we say things have been complicated, this this is where it, it goes up another level, I'm afraid. There's a number of angles to look at. Firstly, you've got employer contributions for those members in the officer scheme, so that's consultants, nurses, hospital staff, etc. Invoicing employers directly for these would, would create significant difficulties um, with budgets, therefore... It's been agreed the employer costs for reinstated service will be factored into subsequent NHS pension scheme valuations, therefore the, the future employer contributions rate. One would assume this should apply to GP partners who are liable to both employee and employer contributions. I'm afraid to say this has not been explicitly outlined in the document, so we can't say for sure, but there must, well, I, I say must. I keep hoping that things will be right, but you, you kind of hope that they will do the right thing. If they're going to do it for one side, they must do it for the other. But we do know how these things pan out, I'm afraid. 
as part of the application for members to go back into the scheme, they'll also be required to state whether there's any part of pension recycling arrangements. That is, if they left the scheme and the employer paid them a percentage of that pension saving uh, on the employer rate. Therefore, the employer, which I suppose the lease owner doesn't fall on the members and our clients in general, they'll be in the term invited to review those arrangements to ensure no duplication of benefits following that reinstatement. Again, that's another complication to the situation, but I think that's going to come down to the employer. Do you think the employer might try and pull back some of the additional salary that they were paying the members? I think it's an option. I think it's an option that may well be tried. The, the, mm. you, you, bearing in mind you've had the benefit of the the additional income and you're now rejoining the scheme and they, they've given that to you, I, I can see it as a, as a possibility. I suppose as long as that's factored into their costs of rejoining the scheme, that's fair enough. Yeah. Rather than rejoining the scheme and then being hit with a, a clawback of salary of many thousands of pounds for for a few years. Agreed, agreed. I mean, if we're looking at the pension recycling, it was being rolled out to be given to everybody as a matter of course, yet it wasn't for a long time. So depending yeah. on the trust, depending on, on who was dealing with what, I think it'll be an individual case-by-case basis on the trust rather than on the individual to see, decide how they want to try and approach it. There won't be enough money floating around for people to just wave it, so there, there must, there's going to be something. And of course, that will impact on the calculations again, because if they were on a higher salary, and that meant that when they went back into the scheme, their annual, you know, their calculations would be over 200000 Yeah. If they then had to pay back some of that salary, then that might mean their overall threshold income was less than the 200000 so it would reduce the charges going forward anyway. Yeah, and does that mean that you'd then have to calculate the, um, the, the threshold income by putting those contributions back into the years they relate to? And adjusting that accordingly, and I can't. I, I can see that as a that's that's a possible thing to do, but I can't see how HMRC are going to accept those figures when they, for argument's sake, review someone's tax return because there's an annual allowance charge sitting on it. It's and it's the chicken and the egg, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I said at the beginning of this, there's going to be a lot of questions which, yeah. which I don't think they will have addressed, and it just it's not it's not difficult to see where they come from and the complications that will arise. Where you've got an individual who is currently active or a deferred member, so someone who's was still working but without being in, in the scheme, they'll have the option, because if you're going to rejoin the scheme in that period, you're going to have to pay back or you'll have to pay the contributions. They'll be given the option to pay the contributions via a lump sum or an instalment plan agreed by the pension scheme. We don't know how that instalment plan will be structured. Again, it's quite vague, but we hope to receive more information from the pension scheme in due course. If you're a member that's already retired, you'll have the option to have those deductions taken from your benefits on an ongoing basis. Again, don't know exactly how that's going to work. I do worry because the pensions agency is already struggling before this even comes into into play. And as you say, the more you talk, the more complicated it becomes. So I, I hope the pensions agency is doing a, a mass recruitment exercise at the moment. They have been, and they've also we, we're aware that they've been reallocating people into certain areas to ensure that these things are taking off. I don't think they have enough resource to deal with it because on a day-to-day basis, we speak to pensions about a number of clients, and we are still working on on stuff that's 40, 50, 60 days old. The only other thing about the opting back in and the payments made, we don't yet understand the mechanism of individuals obtaining tax relief. We don't know how that will happen because... Will they put it back into the year? Will they have to revise the years? We don't. We have no idea how that's going to be approached. 
I think you'll certainly need an expert to help you with all of this. I certainly will, yeah. <laughs> it, it'll just it'll be a question of constantly keeping over it constantly and seeing what comes out of it and asking the questions of people at the appropriate times. We know we know that the we know that the the BMA and the BDA etc are looking at all this all the time as much as we are, so we understand. But it's the update is there, but it's still vague and it's very easy to do a generic calculation on something, but it's not because every individual has their own home position to be sorted. Can I just ask you about the compensation package? So you've talked about the compensation package a few times up to now. Do, do you actually have sort of any idea what that actually includes? Uh, yeah. I mean, the compensation, ever since, ever since the cloud came, came about, there's, there's always been a concern from ourselves and, and other, other professionals about who's going to sort this problem out. Because for our members, or our clients and other members, to have it done professionally is going to cost them more money on top of what they've already paid out in doing the original calculations. We can estimate how much we think it would cost, but we didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen. The compensation package will be in place for members who've suffered direct financial losses. That would include tax losses and the cost of individual advice obtained in obtaining that. Uh, dealing with those with those pensions, for example, well, let's say during the consultation, the, the British Dental Association made a comment about it's important that clear guidance is given to members and advisors as to how such costs could be identified and claimed for. It's all everybody was concerned about it because why should the member who's done nothing wrong be forced into incurring additional financial loss in order to solve a problem that he wasn't involved in or they weren't involved in? There's been no clear guidance issue to date, and the consultation document refers to applications to be considered on a case-by-case basis. I think it's going to be a situation where there is going to be the financial compensation for those. I can see it easily applying to us recalculating and undertaking those calculations for clients now, but we don't know is whether that will still apply to the original cost that that they've incurred in, in doing those calculations and whether it's going to be an overall position. We will obviously be pressing to cover everything because the problem wouldn't have been, have arisen way back in 2015, 2016, etc. If this hadn't been in place, therefore they've incurred cost anyway. I mean, they would have incurred costs from the financial advisors advising whether or not they should be in or out of the scheme and what those implications would have been. And they would have incurred costs from advisors such as us to deal with the tax implications, implications of that and having to do Scheme pay elections and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, revi- revising returns, settling liabilities, etc., etc. So, so it, that could be a huge liability, then, couldn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and it'll be it'll be down to those first applications to see how they're challenged, how far they can go. I mean, from what we've already discussed, it's not going to be as straightforward as we've got a new set of figures. Let's just check them. Yeah. We'll see how that how that pans out. I mean, the the there's a lot of else the pure the actual cost to the country of tidying up all this is going to be is going to be huge, isn't it? Yes, yes. I dread to think. Well, there's going to be a, there's, there's going to be a loss of revenue for those cases where the where the liability arises to government because out of the deadline, the four year date for HMRC, and there's going to be additional costs for those people who are now going to have an increased pension with no additional annual allowance charge. And there's also going to be this compensation package, which is is going to be detailed on the basis that, in in my opinion, anything that I do for clients post the remedy, i.e., from now onwards in in reverting them back, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, must come at a cost to the pension scheme. 
Thank you, Peter. I feel a lot more educated than I did beforehand. And I know that if the clients ask me, I will be putting them your way. We've covered loads of it already, but is, it, is there anything else that you think we ought to discuss before, before we, we finish today? Yeah, I think just a couple of things just need to be tidied up a little bit. Yeah, although it was mentioned with, uh, within the consultation document, many people may be currently expecting to receive a brown envelope dropped through their door containing the 2022-23 annual allowance saving statements. They may have noticed they haven't arrived yet, and the NHS scheme have confirmed that these statements will not be issued this year, but will come out with that remedial information by the 5th of October 2024. Should a member wish to submit a scheme pays election for 2022-23, the time limit for filing such an election has now been extended to July 2025. So everything's been kicked down the road a little bit in that respect. If they were to issue 2022-23 statements as they currently stand without rolling back, taking into account the rate of inflation for the year, the pension growth was likely to be ridiculous, and it isn't going to be. 2022-23 without the rollback into the legacy schemes would have meant seven years of revaluations for each of the years that people were in the scheme at a rate of 11.5 or 11.6% being the rate of inflation plus one and a half percent. And so it would have been madness. And I was talking to clients in the early part of the summer explaining this, the situation and then this has now subsequently changed. So don't expect that and don't worry about it. HMRC have issued an update to say they're not expecting any members to include anything regarding the annual allowance on their 22-23 tax returns. That includes a white space note saying that I might have an estimate, I might have a charge. There's no estimate required at all on the on the additional information pages. Nothing needs to be done for 2022-23. As part of the consultation and as part of HMRC's guidance, there's going to be a separate online form to complete. We don't have any more details other than there is going to be an online form. And I assume that if there is a liability based upon 22-23, that that will also have a later payment date as a separate issue in respect to it. I can't say for certain because that's really very vague, but we do know that it doesn't need to be entered on the return, but there will be a separate form to complete in due course should they arise. And that'll keep us busy on the tax side of the situation rather than just the pension side. So... Don't panic if you're not seeing, you haven't seen something at the moment. That's about it, really, from me. I've tried to cover it in as easy as a way as possible, but as I hope people will realise it's not that straightforward. Peter, thank you. Yeah, you know, it, it's not quite clearly. So you tried to cover it in a in a comprehensive way as much as possible. There, and appreciate that. But yeah, look, anyone who wants to, I suppose, you know, have a bit of a health check on this then just give us a call um you know we love to open up a conversation and you know if it goes somewhere great everybody wins so peter your number people can get hold of you on 01905 794504 or yep. email is uh peter.herneman which is h-e-r-n for november i-m-a-n peter.herneman at ballards com. matthew you can be caught on the same phone number and likewise you are first name dot second name at ballardsllp.com so peter thanks a lot for for all of your information it's fascinating as, as ever i've tried to sort of absorb as much as possible there and i look forward to talking to you about that again and matthew thanks a lot for your time also and i will catch you both on the next one great stuff thank you both thanks both 